0: Welcome to the pod 20 and my guest this week is one of the stars of the hottest movie of lockdown the film is called host it's all about a seance that happens on zoom Gemma Moore will talk about the film her voiceover work and her podcast Hollywood scriptwriter Ken Levine will be on and he'll be talking about his podcast Hollywood and Levine Sam Walker from the podcast Sam Walker's Desert Diaries will tell us how she got her start in broadcasting and the comedian and writer John Holmes will have a chat about political correctness and you'll be glad to know if you're listening on a train there will be no fare increases in January this show will still be free I'm Graham Mack and the pod 20 is heard on podcast radio in London, the home counties, Manchester and Glasgow, on demand in the USA at talkers.com, around the world on multiple platforms and as a podcast itself. At number 20 this week, case file, true crime, fact is scarier than fiction. At 19, that Peter Crouch podcast. At 18, the hobby cast with Gemma Moore. Gemma is one of the stars of Host, a movie that takes place on Zoom during lockdown. Let's get connected to Gemma now via Zoom, direct from my wardrobe, where I present the Pod 20, to Gemma's flat in London. Gemma, you do voiceovers as well.
1: Yeah, dude, I'm assuming you, if you've got a wardrobe...
0: Yeah, I do. I do bits and pieces. Not as much as, as, as I'd like. Uh, it, it, is a, it is a game that's hard to get into if you're not an up-and-coming superstar actress with a hot film. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? It is a little bit more difficult for a broken-down radio disc jockey to get the same kind of work. Yeah. <laughs> no. No,
1: voiceovers are, are fun.
0: Yeah, when I was done? at radio school, I went to radio school, I lived in Australia, it was where I got into radio, and I, got into, I went to the Australian Film, TV and Radio School, afters, and um, they took us for a day to 2WS it was, it's, it's now called WSFM, they took us to this radio station out in Western Sydney and they said, you're going to watch some commercials being recorded, and we met the copywriters and we met the producers and everything, and then they brought in the people who were voicing them, and they were all actors. And I said to them, I said, you use actors like this is a radio station. Haven't you just got loads of people who talk on the radio that can read a script? And they said, no, for commercials, we always use actors because they just do it better. Because they look at the words and they use everything they've learned through acting and the techniques, whereas radio people, and the example I've been given since by by a radio consultant called Dan O'Day, and it's an exaggeration, but if you give a, a radio presenter a script and they say to him, right, in this script you're a duck, okay, the radio presenter will go, quack, quack. Where, you know, whereas an actor will will be a duck, you know, and and they were great. I mean, seeing them bring, this is just basic 30 second radio commercials, but seeing actors because there were characters in them and conversations, there was a guy and girls and, and just to see the way that they did it was actually quite mind blowing because the thing really came to life off the page. Uh, it, do you have to, when you're doing a voiceover? I know you do straight commercials and you do promos for Killing Eve. That's you on there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah uh, it do you, do, you, do you use every inch of your acting chops to get that across, or is it just? Oh, this is a voiceover. <laughs> I'm just gonna read it.
1: I think it's. Um, I definitely go in going like, okay, well, I'm just gonna read it how I see it, and then and then just take it from there. Uh, a lot of the time I look at something and, and my dyslexic brain goes, <laughs> and then my mouth just starts talking and then they're like, great. And you're like, oh, okay, that worked." Um, but I think the uh, Yakti Yak, who's my agent, who are phenomenal, they, I think the one thing that they said to me is, what's similar is you have to take direction learn how to take direction and change and listen and and change it as you go and I think acting really helped with voiceovers because you'll have sometimes you'll have you know 10 people in a room you know from all different departments having a say in it and like can you do it a bit more like this can you do it like that and sometimes those directions get very abstract so you have to be able to be like okay I think I understand what you're saying we're going to take this from there that from there and this from there And then you do it and then they're like okay it's still not right and also being an actor you get a lot of rejection and you get a lot of you have to be like this open book at the same time having a lot of criticism sometimes thrown at you so i think being a voiceover you have to be able to take direction not get offended by it and just be able to sort of just keep trying different things and experimenting and hope one of those things land and if it doesn't not to get frustrated and just to keep just to keep being like, okay, guys, okay, well, maybe we need to rethink about how we're communicating this to each other because I think that's the thing that would stress a lot of people out is when it's not quite hitting the mark, which actually happens a lot, then to be able to stop, take a step back and be like, we need to look at this differently. Obviously, something's not, there's a communication not happening here or you have something very specific. Can we maybe find a reference for that?
0: Well, the stuff you do promoting... Killing Eve on the BBC always sounds great that's all I know it's Gemma Moore and the Hobbycast podcast with Gemma Moore is at number 18 this week more from Gemma soon when we'll find out what she's been listening to at 17 Busy Phillips is doing her best when her late night TV show was cancelled she vowed to get back up and make even bigger plans to invent a whole new way of doing things in the entertainment biz Busy Phillips is doing her best is the podcast that does that at 16, the Jordan B. Peterson podcast from the intellectual phenomenon Jordan B. Peterson and his daughter Michaela. At 15, Hollywood and Levine from the Hollywood scriptwriter and director Ken Levine. How long have you
2: been doing the podcast now, Ken? Uh,
0: four years. Four years. So what was the inspiration? Why did you decide? Was it because of the radio background?
2: Yeah, I had done a lot of talk radio in my day and sports talk and. Uh, I enjoy broadcasting and I really really lament the end of radio and radio I I can't speak for Great Britain but here in the United States it's just imploding
0: yeah we've got we've got problems here a lot of consolidation
2: yeah it's just terrible. There's no live personalities anymore. Radio isn't fun three giant. Bankrupt corporations are running 90% of the radio stations and people are getting fired left and right. And I mean, there's no more industry uh, per se, which breaks my heart because radio was really my first love. So I thought, okay, I'll do a podcast. I've wanted to do it for a number of years, but I am not very tech savvy and did not know like, how would I do it? How do you get it from your recorder onto the interweb that these kids are <laughs> watching these days? And a company came to me and said, we would like to partner with you. Great. You provide the content and they'll provide all of the technical stuff. And um, and that's worked out great. And like I said, uh, it's been four years. I tell people Stories like this Yeah, uh, I do a lot of interviews. Nice um, one with
0: David Isaacs. I think it was a two part It was a really good one.:
2: Yeah, I was able to get David Isaacs. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was able to get my partner.
0: <laughs> but it was a really nice it was a really nice interview though.
2: Thank yeah. you, but I've had Jamie Farr of Mash, yeah. and uh, you get Alan Alda. I get Jamie Farr. <laughs> um, and uh, Perry Gilpin of Fraser, uh James Burroughs. Uh, for two episodes uh, for sportscaster fans, Al Michaels, who is the premier sportscaster in America, uh, he came to the house to record it. And I also try to introduce you to writers who you don't know their names, but you know their work and you've enjoyed their work. And so I try to introduce them to various comedy writers, names that they have seen on the screen for years, and then other aspects of the entertainment industry, like uh, a casting director or a former studio executive, a former network executive, uh, an executive who was in charge of scheduling and programming for NBC and then i'll do sometimes um commentary tracks where i'll take an episode of like cheers or frasier and you don't have to but if you sync it up i then just talk through and and do a commentary track of what was going on behind the scenes look for this and you'll notice that uh this isn't going to match and you know stuff like that and i tell you know, goofy stories like this from time to time.
0: And you also play, if, you, if, if you've been out somewhere, you, you bring tape. Like, for instance, you you had a bash at stand-up, and you played that on there. Some one-act yes. plays you've been involved with, you play them on there. And you've, yeah. y- there's commentary before and after and everything. Yeah, it is, it's, it's a real variety of stuff, but it's all about the biz that you're in. It's, it's yeah. a really, what, really good
2: what, what I've done sometimes is I'll take a 10-minute play that I wrote, and I'll play the play... Then I'll explain my thought process and why I did certain things and why I chose this reference and why I decided to tell the story this way and why I laid in this piece of information that you'll see pays off later. So I'll talk about that for like 5-10 minutes and then play the scene again. And now you have a different perspective because now you're seeing it as an insider. And it's, um, I-, I think, you know, very instructive.
0: Yeah. For anyone that wants to get into, in, into your line of work or, or anything in, to do in, in Hollywood. Yeah. Right. So it's Hollywood and Levine. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. You can't miss it. You shouldn't miss it. It's great. And final question. What are you looking forward to, Ken?
2: <laughs> getting out of the house <laughs> that would be good wouldn't it has lockdown been
0: good for you because yes. as a writer surely this is a this is a bonus isn't it more than anything
2: well it actually is because there is a, a project that i'm working on and i've been writing out of the house here where, where you see um for the last few years so i i'm being productive hopefully but um yeah i kind of miss the independence and i miss going to restaurants and i miss seeing friends and i miss being able to travel but um you know i'm i'm doing okay you know we get our instacarts and uh, they bring the lorna dunes so <laughs> i'm i'm surviving thank you <laughs>
0: Ken Levine and his podcast Hollywood and Levine is at number 15 this week. Ken will be back next week to talk about what the Los Angeles Times called an epic blog fight between him and Roseanne Barr. At 14 this week, the Mark Levin podcast from Mark Levin, one of the hottest properties in talk radio in the USA today. At 13, off the menu with Ed Gamble and James Acaster. The comedians Ed and James invite special guests into their magical restaurant to choose their favourite starter, main course, side dish, dessert and drink. Their latest guest is the award-winning TV chef and Great British menu judge Andy Oliver back to the chart in just a bit but right now let's check in with my special guest Gemma Moore Gemma is one of the stars of the new film Host and presents The Hobbycast what podcasts do you listen to Gem?
1: I love I got really into like the uh, The Guilty Feminist I liked it because
0: it was I don't know it, that one because it sounds so and it sounds like it's not aimed at me anyway I, but think, I, it, could, I think
1: it would do because it's yeah? like there's um, It's Deborah Francis White, and she has this thing at the beginning where she goes, I'm a feminist, but if I could go back in time and save this incredible woman from this situation, or go back in time to when Chris Hemsworth was really desperate to kiss someone and didn't know who to kiss, probably go to the latter of the two. So it's like this, like, I'm a feminist, but mm-hmm. the other day... Uh, I used to Facetune or, like, something like that. Like, it's it's this wonderful place where you can it, listen to women from all different backgrounds um, explore their role in the world but also be like, oh, yeah, I constantly make mistakes or I constantly and failing to live up to this, like, feminist values or – but, you know, like, I'm trying to constantly do better but, yeah, the other day I definitely – this thing and and it wasn't a feminist thing like they always go did you have a feminist week or a guilty feminist week
0: I see and that's the the whole idea of the podcast right Oh, actually sounds quite good now as you you say it like that yeah
1: Yeah, they're all comedians that had like Hannah Gadsby on they've had uh, Felicity Ward on so it's really funny and like and but they also cry like there's an episode where they go from laughing to then crying because from frustration because they're angry they talk about really hard-hitting topics but also accompanied by silliness and so it's this wonderful balance of many different things and then I also love no such thing as a fish
0: yeah always I does well on the podcast chart I mention it every week I need to get those guys on because yeah that's, yeah they're uh,
1: wonderful and and I think it's the same with this hobby thing I love finding out new random things that you're like is that? Is that? And then you go and Google it because you're like, nah, I don't. Those things that.
0: aren't they the writers on QI?
1: Yes, the QI yeah. elves they call themselves, I <laughs> <laughs> which is quite sweet and nice. They because they must find some the the research. I think it's brilliant that they did it because there must be so much that falls to the wayside. Yeah. That they they had information that they're like, how was other people not knowing about this? There was like, um, what is it? There's one episode. Where they discuss how the is it the Taj Mahal is basically made out of cake mixture like egg and
0: yeah and
1: top like and and they there's some strange there's so many strange things that I I got to a habit of starting to write down these facts <laughs> so that I could remember them because there's so many of them but they they're just so weird and wonderful and and it always makes me smile because it's light-hearted. I like also Fern Cotton's Happy Place
0: yeah that always yeah. does well on the chart yeah
1: it's, inter- it's nice to hear people talk about mental health and, and stuff like that but it can get quite like like heavy sometimes so then that's why I go to like the comedy or um, or the Guilty Feminist because it's like silly what do you like to listen to?
0: I like to listen to a lot of interview podcasts because I'm interested in in people. I mean, it, you know, I don't read many books now because I've been narrating so many of these audiobooks. I'm working on 5 <laughs> at the minute. And um, but when I did read books, I it tended to be biographies because yeah. I just wanted to see how people tick. For a while there, I went through a phase of I would read biographies written by famous men's wives. Because I thought they would know them in a way that. So I read um, Cynthia Lennon's book about John Lennon, and I wrote Patty Boyd read Patty Boyd's book, which was about George Harrison and Eric Clapton, because she was married to both of them. One of the best was was uh, Peter Cook, the comedian Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Uh, his <laughs> ex wife. Most of them were ex wives when they wrote the books as well, which gave them a lot more leeway. So I so I always liked I always liked to go for. Yeah, I really like Mark Maron's podcast because he gets he gets interesting. He's just done a wonderful one with Jim Carrey, just amazing. And uh, yeah, he did a great one, obviously, with Barack Obama, which is is the famous one that Mark Maron did. But I also like uh, Penn's Penn Sunday School, Penn Jillette, Penn and Teller, the magicians, Penn Jillette, who is a a larger-than-life character and very outspoken. Atheist, and he likes to uh, say what he thinks, and, and, and that's good. So, yeah, that's kind of what I, I like, yeah. More from Gemma Moore on the way when we'll talk about her role in Wonder Woman. This is the Pod 20, the definitive countdown of the top 20 podcasts, and at number 12, it's Grounded with Louis Theroux. 11 is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition, from Comedy Central's podcast network. At 10, it's Sam Walker's Desert Diaries. The ex-5 Live presenter, Sam Walker, talks about her new life in Arizona. Sam, when you started out in broadcasting, you lived in Camden and presented The Breakfast Show on a tiny radio station in London.
3: I won't tell you what I earned, Graham, but put it this way, it was less than my rent. Yeah, you lived in Camden. Yeah. I was, yeah, oh, well, yeah. I lived, well, this was quite a while ago, so it was when Camden was vaguely affordable for normal people. Forget it now. Yeah, um, I'd lived in Belsize Park before that. Hilarious. This is when normal people could live in Belsize Park. And, um, and so I used to have to drive my clapped-out Golf, which, again, had battery issues, so I always had a little charger I had to start the car with. And I would drive at 4 o'clock in the morning from Camden. In fact, I think I was in Belsize, still in Belsize then, to to Kingston in southwest London. It took me 40 minutes to get there and two and a half hours to get back. I earned no money at all. I went to massive, 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 massive debt. And every day, I couldn't wait to do it. I could not wait to do it. And it was it was amazing. I was presenting a breakfast show with Rick Adams, who'd presented you know the Big Breakfast.
0: I Uh, I I met Rick uh, because I worked at 2CR in Bournemouth, and uh, Rick had Rick had started. He was at uni there, there. yeah. Yeah, he he started out there, and he was still well regarded uh, by people in the in the area and by people at the radio station. Yeah, he was a huge Kenny Everett fan.
3: Oh, he's it's still a really good friend of mine. We've kept in touch all these years. Where is he now? L.A. Is he? He lives in LA. Um, he's brilliant. He is one of, he's a genius. And I don't, I, that sounds such a naff thing to say. He is genuinely one of the most naturally funny people I have ever met. He is warm. He's brilliant. He has not had half the, a tenth of the recognition he deserves. Yeah. He taught me so much. It's in great first, to be yeah. around somebody like that, isn't it? Oh, because they God. they have an aura,
0: and that and when you're in yeah. their orbit, you can suck you, you the 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 enthusiasm and the yeah. yeah we can do this, and you go we can. I never thought about that, but you know those kind of people in
3: totally. We would write sketches. We'd write write four or five sketches every morning Brilliant. around ridiculous things we did, like full on scripts. In fact, I found them the other day because we recently moved house here in Phoenix, and I was reading through them all, going. This was to give away a cheese hamper (laughs) because we had no, we had no prizes. It was a hamper of freaking cheese. (laughs) And we wrote this entire character based drama. I mean, it was just ridiculous, but it was the best training round. And Johnny Hayward, who was the, he doesn't work in radio anymore, but as the, as the program controller there, he drove me up the wall. He drove me up the wall every day. Right, five past eight, you didn't say the station name. Twenty past eight, you didn't do that. And I was like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Well, (laughs) it kind of does when you're trying to build a rate. What it taught me is that really good housekeeping is actually...
0: Well, yeah, I'm guessing once you that got five live, that was a lessons well learned. Yes.
3: That's what I mean. And it was, yeah. it was I didn't know anything about radio. Okay. I'd just gone in a bit gobby to a boss and gone, give me a job. I didn't know how it worked. I couldn't believe people said the station name. I was like, no one ever says the station name. Of course, you start listening and you go, oh, they do, don't they?
0: Yeah,
3: You really do all the time. And when it's a breakfast show, of course, they also say the time. Yeah. notice that so all of these little things i mean he sat on our back for a year he he used to drive us out three times a week right let's drive to um stains today this is in your tsa what do you know about stains what the name of the big pubs there what are the names and i was like oh yeah brilliant
0: absolutely
3: brilliant. brilliant and it just you know if you're a local radio station to know your patch
0: yeah yeah, another rough areas, the posh areas.
3: Every, exactly that.
0: Yeah. So, so at that time you'd gone through is it is it unfair to call it a myriad of vocational cul-de-sacs before you got there? Okay.
3: I didn't but, think a, enough they now all, they now all slot into what I do, being able to write well, being able to know how to tell a story, being able to know like even through PR and marketing about branding, all of these things have now come into play. It's crazy, but I felt I wasted my entire 20s.
0: So you did all that. You were doing all that with with no real direction. Then you find your direction, except it doesn't really pay enough to live on. Your parents have paid for all these years of private schooling. You are still paying for it, child. They were, yeah, they were still paying for it. How were they with with your life decision? Were you under pressure from them to sort yourself out?
3: They basically. So, yeah, I mean, I. to give you an idea of my family as i said you know my dad was a teacher my mum worked in an office um we used to have a push our car down the road to start it we weren't woe is me on the breadline poor, but w- i never went on holiday as a kid i went on holiday once in until i was a, an adult and that, that was to america because when freddie laker probably where it all started I when tried. freddie laker you know got those tickets out and my dad queued up at the estate agents um, in the travel agents in northampton and got three tickets and that's the only time he ever about sick, family, <laughs> yeah. it was a, am- it was amazing. But you know, I didn't realize when my parents got divorced when I was twenty three, twenty four, and I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't mind me sharing it. But a big part of the settlement was who pays off the rest of the school fees, and I got a bur- and I and I'd left school six years earlier. Yeah, and I also had a bursary, which means I had quite a f- bit of my fees paid by the school.
4: Mm-hmm. So,
3: yeah, that's <laughs> no wonder we never went on holiday and had a car you had to push. I am so aware of the massive sacrifices my parents made for me. So, and so
0: where were they at that period in your life when maybe in their eyes you weren't a success and you didn't, they didn't see a path to success like you did? How were they with, with you then? What was that kind of pressure like?
3: Um, my mum, they'd split up and my mum was living in Australia, my dad was living in Africa, Wow! Top cheese. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's <laughs> a whole other story, but and I had recently left my first husband as well, so I was literally living on someone's sofa with no money, and this car you had to put, you know, a battery thing on, pack on to start.
0: But was that and, good for you though? Because you knew you you were responsible now for you. There was no fallback position.
3: Yeah, totally. And and I remember saying. I've got this opportunity and I want to do it. And my mum sent me, and I've still got them on my fridge now, two, frid- two magnets. One is a quote, which I can't remember off by heart, but it's basically about, you know, cast off the bow lines, sail out, discover, explore, dream. And the other one just said, never, never, never give up. And they both said, if you've got a passion and you found something you love, you've got to go for it. You've got to go for it. And I remember my grandmother sending me a few hundred quid because that's all she had. Because she said, I really want you to do this. I really want you to try this. And I know that you're going to be successful. I know you are. And you need someone to help you while you're trying. And so they 100 bazillion percent... My husband works in state. He'll be very upset. He's like, "We can only be hundred percent." You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> they they supported me. I'm so grateful and lucky for that. You know, and you know what it's like working in radio. It's absolutely horrendous. And the first time someone told me that and then did the opposite and promised me that job and then took it away, I was like, "What? Why? why is this? Go- What's happening?" You know. Um, but they 100 percent supported me the whole time, and they supported me when I had absolutely no money and would literally send me food parcels and and they helped me and you know not not financially quite often because they didn't have that money but in ways that supported me and when I had like twelve pound debt on my credit card because I had to do that to pay my rent because I wasn't earning enough they were like okay you're gonna do it I know you will you're clever you'll you'll find a way you will you'll do it and I did I got part-time jobs so I was on the radio in the morning and then I was working at a PR firm in the afternoon to kind of boost up that money so I was exhausted um but you do you find a way if there's something you're really passionate about you do do it
0: and there's something about that time i always look at i look back at the time you know i'd 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 not had very supportive parents and i'd found myself as an as an air conditioning engineer in sydney australia but it just wasn't me Mm. and i got accepted into the top radio school in Australia the Australian Film TV and Radio School in Sydney it's the, they only take 12 wow. students a year and I got on that and when I got I always look back on that it was the most broke I've ever been because I couldn't work you know Julie was working in a in a this is how long ago it was in a shop that developed One Hour photo kind of place. Julie was doing Wasn't that. Weren't
3: they cool when they came in? Yeah, wow. Yeah,
0: she was doing that in Sydney you know, developing pictures of the Opera House and the Harbour Bridge and um, I couldn't work for six months while I did this course but it's that hope that wow, my life if I get this right, if I work hard I, I could have something really special here that I never even dreamed someone like me could get and I always look back as that was the best time it still is i still think of that as the when was the you know if you think about your life that was the best time so this this people who have a relationship with money is important don't get me wrong but i also look at the time when i was earning the most money i ever earned in my life and i was the most miserable that's so it, true 100 percent. something about <laughs> having that hope the, the, of, of the future, not of the now. The now really yeah. doesn't... We're supposed to live in the moment, and I don't know where people... And I'd love to live in the moment, but you don't. You live just a little bit further ahead of the moment. That's what keeps you going. And, uh, yeah, so... And, and what did you find that, that that was just one of the best times ever when you...
3: Yeah, I think there was... And I, I've talked about it quite a bit since, actually. I mean, just with, with friends and, and family. But I think the time when I was living... I'd left my marriage. I was living on my friend's sofa, earning no money. You know, this is before we then got a flat, um, which I moved in with my friend. But I was living on her sofa for a good six months. So I was homeless. What? what? Um, I lived out of Sainsbury's carrier bags. I had no money to spend on anything frivolous. Um, And I would get in the car with my little battery pack to start up the battery every morning. I had to walk about five streets away, probably more than that, Even probably a good 10 streets away because where my house had used to be and that was the zoning for London so I could park my car there, but I couldn't park my car where I was staying with my friends. So I had to walk at four in the morning to the car, open up the bonnet, start the car up, drive, do this radio show for five pence, come back, then drive to Dulwich to do some PR. And it's weird. I think I also felt really alive you know, really alive. Everything was incredibly difficult. But you do bizarrely look back on that with fondness. It's a bit like now I look back on those first few weeks in the States when everything was massively overwhelming. We were like, where do we live? What's happening? I look back on that with fondness.
0: Yeah, it's exciting.
3: Yeah, because it was exciting. I mean, it was also terrifying. And my husband was losing the plot going, we can't even open a bank account. What are we going to do? We can't rent a house because we've got no credit. Ah." But I think, I think you're right. It's that anticipation of, I'm going to fix this. Yeah. I know I'm going to fix it. don't know how I'm going to do it yet, but I know I'm going to do it. And, and that, yeah, that is a completely wild, <laughs> wild state to be in, but it's really exciting.
0: And it's great to listen to, too, in uh, Sam Walker's Desert Diaries, which is at number 10 this week on the chart. At number nine, Sword and Scale, a true crime podcast covering the dark side of humanity and human nature including murder, rape, dismemberment and cannibalism. At 8 Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe's lockdown parenting hell. It's parenting just not as you know it. Let's check back in with my special guest this week, Gemma Moore. Gemma, you were in Wonder Woman. Was that done in Hollywood?
1: So no, that was done in Italy.
0: Oh, in Italy. Right. So did you get to go to Los Angeles? I mean, you're in a Hollywood movie. Did you get to work in Los Angeles?
1: No, I didn't. We so I I missed the premiere because I was in Cannes with my short film that I'd produced, um, and it was like between going to Cannes and going to the premiere of Wonder Woman, and I I assumed that the premiere would go ahead for London, and so I unfortunately didn't get to go to either because everything there was like a everything that happened around London Bridge and it got cancelled, um, so I didn't go to LA for Wonder Woman, but we filmed in Italy, like on the Amalfi Coast, and it was it was beautiful. Like, some of the locations for that were so stunning that I just, I went back, I just went straight back. Matera is where they filmed the new Bond film. And I think it's the cultural city, it was called the cultural city last year, like of the year, and it had all the Salvador Dali statues and everything, but it's this old, city made out of caves so everything's like in these caves and it's sort of like a labyrinth my partner got ill one day and he was supposed to go to the doctor which was like five minutes away and i got a call 45 minutes later being like i'm stuck in this labyrinth it's like midday i've got a fever and i was
0: just like
1: okay babe it's supposed to be five minutes down the road so wonder woman was like italy um but they build sets on beaches and had like huge green screens set up on beaches. And I went to LA afterwards for a different, um, job. I was signed to ABC for the year, um, on a contract that I won for their first transatlantic competition in the UK. Um, so So you, you,
0: you, you won it. That was a competition.
1: Yeah. So it was like sending a, a self tape, um, and i'd, I'd Where did you
0: get where did you find t- you're so busy where did you find time to do that
1: well actually i was on a film and i'd injured myself and lost a tooth chewing pineapple with the skin off not with the skin on. <laughs> and uh and i was sat home and i was really like feeling a bit down and i was just like okay so what can I do? My friend was like, "There's a self-tape competition. You get a year contract with ABC. Why don't you do it?" So grumpily, with a plant in the background like this, I was. A, I did a self-tape, and then I got into the second round, and then I got into the third round, and then I got a call from the head of casting at ABC, being like, "You've won the competition." Um, so yeah, can you hear them sanding my floors? Oh, ju- really
0: a little, a little bit, but it's not, it's not too distracting. But it's very, it's very, um, it is, it is. Um...
1: It's there. It's present.
0: It's, it's very host, actually. That's what it is.
1: <laughs>
0: it's noises. Yeah.
1: It's the ghost living in my wall, sanding my, my floors. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So then I got to go to LA for that, which was really, really cool. Um, and I got to go to Disney and I watched uh, a Disney film with all the, these Disney animators as well, which was like a dream for me because I think Disney's magical and wonderful. So, but... I was gutted that I didn't go to the premiere for Wonder Woman, because that would have been a life, uh, a real, but there'll be many chances. I I think I was, I got to see Twin Peaks, two rows behind, um, you know, like the whole everyone. So I just was like, it was pretty amazing. I've actually got it on my wall. because I was, like, obsessed with David Lynch when I was younger. And I used to sit in uni and eat Cocoa Pops with cream and watch Twin Peaks. And so then when I got to sit behind him and watch him cry at his own thing, I was like, okay, okay, it's fine. I missed the Wonder Woman premiere. This is pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, Pretty cool, yeah.
0: So when I watch a lot of your stuff, you've got the most perfect American accent. (laughs) Thank you. How is it done? And I ask for a selfish reason. I um, produce and, and, and narrate a lot of audio books. And when you audition for them, it says what kind of accent they're looking for. And a lot of the ones that say American accent, I think, well, I could probably do one, but I don't know if I could pull it off well enough and there'll be lots of different American characters and I skip them and just do the British ones. What is the trick to getting a good American accent down? You could actually make me money here. Okay,
1: so, I mean, I have a like American accent cheat sheet above my desk yeah and i think the r's because they're rotated. the r's i think are the best thing so i always do peter piper picked a piece of pickled pepper and so that always gets different.
0: right so that's it you've got to get those R's, right. and once you get that everything falls into place after that
1: yeah and there's things like t- we say tube
0: yeah they say they say tube. Tube, so yeah. it's like
1: slight changes in in words I've been trying to do an Asian accent um, and I can only say molstrand, sensor save power like that because their R's are like rhotic Rs as well and it's so it's so interesting I, I'm fascinated by how the human mouth can change so much um, and just by like lifting the back of your tongue you can change something also American obviously is very nasal yeah and it, you can sort of change it like that I, d- I don't know it, it was just practice isn't it I love I have to listen to YouTube podcasters and then I get it on a loop on like GarageBand and I just take a little bit and I get it on a loop and then I just repeat and then it loops and then it repeats and loops and repeats and loops but I think the, the R's are the one. as soon as you get them yeah sneak up on you
0: I'll let you know how we get on. Hang on there, Gemma. I want to find out what you're looking forward to. Back to the chart right now. And at number seven, it's Call Her Daddy. Follow along Alex Cooper and the Daddy Gang as they exploit the details of their lives, making you feel a hell of a lot better about yours. At six, Revisionist History, Malcolm Gladwell's journey through the overlooked and misunderstood. At five, The The One Show Show, John Holmes and guests take apart the BBC's fluff fest. As a writer and comedian, John, how has political correctness affected your work?
5: Well, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, it's, it's, I think the sensitivity is a bit of an issue. I mean, it's, it's not because people say you can't say anything these days. Well, you can, you know, as many have pointed out, of course you can say what you like. No one's stopping you, but there there may well be consequences. Now, if you're prepared to deal with those consequences, okay, it's up to you. So, but yeah, I do think we're oversensitive. I think, uh, I say we, I mean, I'm not sensitive. You say what you like to me, I'm not going to be offended. Um, But I think there is a tendency to, uh, and it scares broadcasters. I think it does. I think somebody needs to come out, as some publishers have started to do now. You know, when, when publishers have al- argued that they don't want to be associated with certain authors who might have points of view they disagree with, a couple of publishers have now turned around and gone, tough to them. Uh, uh, and uh, and I, I think more companies should probably just go, well, you know, diversity of thought is equally important. Mm. And so you, don't, you can't shut that sort of debate down. I think there is a tendency... Um, Well, it's this council culture thing or whether or not they know that's a... What worries me about it all is that if somebody
0: is a racist, for argument's sake, I'd like to know that they're a racist. But if they're prevented from (laughs) saying racist things, I'll never find out. And I need
5: to know. You know, That's and nice. uh, and so it's almost helping them through. They settings. should wear, Graham. They should wear. i I think you're right. They should. They should rather than as as cancel them. They should should go the other way. They should re- wear their racism proudly. Yes. I don't know. For instance, some sort of white hood or robe would be an excellent yeah. outfit for someone excellent. who is racist. <laughs> yeah, Wouldn't flaming yeah. torch maybe. Oh, too- had <laughs> I appeared in the pages of the Guardian wearing a white hood and robe, they might have a bloody point. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't. Yeah, because I like to think I'm not a racist.
0: Yeah, <laughs> what what is? Uh, it's going to be a tricky question, but what is the motivation for being funny? You know, there are all these theories that psychologists come up with about a need to be loved, and and I know you were adopted very young, and I don't know whether that plays into it. And to get into, to I'm see. not a, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and I don't want to go too deep into this. But have you got a theory about what makes people funny? Um specifically to do with you what makes you, what what your motivation is to make people
5: laugh <laughs> a it is a strange thing to want to in do in any other area that is what <laughs> it's all i have um i do you know i don't know i i mean if psychologically speaking i i don't know my, my, if I, I i've spoken about this before but i trace if I were a psychologist, I think, and weirdly my mum is, so she should give us a better answer to this. Well, she, she, she was a nurse, but when she retired from being a nurse, she got a bit bored, so she trained as a psychologist, um, which she's retired from now as well, but she did it for a bit. anyway. But I think there's a, I don't know, I think you have an innate, I don't think you can teach it. I don't think you can teach someone to, to be funny or write a joke. Um, that said, they are two different things. I've got friends who are very, very funny indeed, who couldn't write a joke to save their lives, but they're funny in a natural environment, if you sort what I mean. So people have an innate ability to be funny, which is a sense of humor, but sort of translating that I suppose into the rhythms of, it's a bit like music, I think. Mm. Comedy is very like music because it's all about um, rhythm. It's all about rhythm and how things s- structure together. You know, it's, it's, you know, and, and sometimes in music, when there's a, when there's a jarring chord, that's what makes it work. Yeah. Whereas in comedy, the thing that comes that you don't expect in the rhythm of it is what makes it work often. And that's why they talk about the rule of three, you know, comedy has beats. Yeah. So it's, it's very similar to music. And I have no musical skill whatsoever. So I'm not <laughs> saying that, that it's the same, but I think that it's a similar area, but, but I do, I do think it's an innate thing. I think you're either, you can learn music, I could learn to play the guitar. I'd still be shit at it at the end because I don't have a natural ability. And I think that's true of comedy. If you've got a natural ability, you'll end up doing it as a probably as a living um, because, it's all, <laughs> because it's all you have. <laughs> so um, if only it was a worthwhile skill. Um, but I think that, I think it's partly that. I think, I think you do. I think, but, but, but to my, why I get interested, when I was very young, my mum was a nurse, she used to work nights. And my dad was a builder. Um, So I also have a big, you know, talk about diversity. I have a big issue with class diversity as well because I, you know, I'm fully working class and I don't think that that's represented well enough in the media at all. Certainly not at the BBC. I mean, I was,
0: I was usually, I mean, you were, lucky enough to go to university but I left school at 16 and then became an apprentice electrician and, and usually in any radio station I work in I'm the only one that never went to university and some yeah. of them I've been in charge at the radio station <laughs> which is hilarious but yeah. Uh, yeah the the class thing is, is for, particularly for media is a real issue yeah. there are I not I think that's a, almost think that's a bigger in. issue I think yeah. that's a bigger
5: you know there are you can argue and people do that the, the representation um of the Bame community is 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 wrong Um, but the the representation of the working class community is even worse you know so somewhere you've got to bring that into the argument as well that's for another time but um, to get back to the point yeah so my mum used to work nights as a nurse and she used to go out at nine o'clock at night and I used to watch her go. she used to walk up the road to get uh, the the, the minibus that the hospital would send to pick up the night shift nurses Uh, and I'd sit waiting for it at the end of the the road out of my bedroom window having been put to bed by my mum and then the moment she'd gone my dad would come upstairs uh, not every night Uh, but he'd come upstairs and he'd go um, do you want to come and watch this so I'd go downstairs and I'd sit with him and he'd be watching what were then repeats of Monty Python's Flying Circus uh, on BBC 2 I'm pretty sure you know around 9 o'clock that kind of thing and I'd sit with him watching that and it became a sort of me and dad thing and and he would laugh his head off at it I didn't understand any of it Uh, you know i just i just like the fact that someone was being hit in the face with a fish or whatever it might be um but but i got a sense that it was funny and it was the rhythms of it and 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 in with python it was the surreality of it which is you know i liked the 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 stuff that i didn't understand what was going on but it didn't need i didn't need to know why it was going on it was just sort of funny so but i also associated that with being slightly naughty because i wasn't supposed to be watching it yeah. Because, you know, my mum would frown upon this. So I don't know whether those all collided. And my dad had albums by The Goodies and stuff. So he used to to those, you know, Peter Sellers albums and stuff. So he did, and it wasn't really brought up on a musical diet of my parents. Um, I was more brought up on a sort of comedy album diet by my dad, certainly. Uh, and I think they had Derek and Clive, but I wasn't allowed to listen to them. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Although I'm sure I did. Um, and, and so I, I sort of had that very early interest in it. And I think I liked that it made my dad laugh. And I thought, oh, you know. Well,
0: what was your relationship with your dad? I mean, I'm just wondering now if, because you saw something that you'd made your dad laugh, whether you were looking for approval from him by you doing that. Just throwing it out there.
5: Yeah. Oh, you know, this is psychology 101, this, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I, yeah, possibly. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, you mentioned the adoption thing, which, which to me had made no difference whatsoever and i've written i've well you're only like I'm, one month old or something weren't you so it's, it's, yeah like four weeks old yeah exactly so, yes. so, so it's
0: not going to make any difference no
5: no i wouldn't have known unless they no. told me but yeah. they made sure they told me from when i was four weeks old okay. uh, that, you know i it was so it was perfectly normal and natural as far as i was concerned and as they was concerned so we had no um and i've uh, i i wrote about i wrote a book about that um uh about sort of growing up but i sort of talk about the adoption because i the way i I looked at it was it was all very sliding doors and i was interested in this which comes back to the comedy question in nature and nurture because if you you know i was essentially chosen from a lineup of babies (laughs) you know my parents walked in saw a lineup of unwanted children and just sort of went that one at me because my mum Tells me that I, I had big brown eyes, and uh, the sorest bottom she'd ever seen. Thanks, mum. So she sort of said, "We'll, we'll have the, We'll have him, please. If you could package him up and send him on." Um, so they took. The, so, but if you think about it, five minutes le- five minutes before that, a totally different couple could have come through the door and picked me. Yeah. Now, so my question, I don't know the answer, is would I be doing this? Would I be doing comedy would I not would I be someone entirely different would I still be me so is the comedy thing nature or nurture or not I don't and I don't know but I find it very interesting you know to, to yeah. see that I could just be an, an entirely different person I mean you know at the end of the day this John Holmes, Jonathan Holmes wasn't my original name anyway so technically I'm not even this person right weird, weird isn't it yeah um, yeah and I did one of those uh, recently did one of those DNA things as a gift. Someone, some my wife got me a, you know, you can spit into a bag essentially and, uh, and, and send it off to some DNA company and, and they t- trace your ancestry. Uh, there, there are various levels. One of which is they will trace your actual ancestors. They can't do that because I don't have any names to go on. I can't input the first bit of information because I don't, I don't know who my birth parents are at all. So, uh, but, but it turns out my ancestry is I I'm 70, odd percent uh irish scottish okay. uh, from the from the islands off the top of scotland and the uh east coast of southern ireland but that's 70 i'm 70 percent that which i what so so that's why i'm wearing a kilt right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, just to get
0: back to your did you have a good relationship with your dad um, I only ask that because I yeah. didn't. I didn't have a, a what you would call like the modern father-son relationship with fathers, and I think it has a little bit to do with what I do for a living, getting into radio and broadcasting. Was I think it had an effect. I'm not exactly sure the depth of. it. I've never been analyzed or anything, anything like that. And, yeah. I, and I've noticed a lot of people who you know, who I've met and worked with have had issues with their fathers at various. It's a spectrum, but uh, at various levels. And no, I'm don't, just interested.
5: I don't think I had an, not an issue at all. No, we, I mean we had a fairly. Uh, I think we have a. It's certainly not a modern father in son relationship, but it's a it's a classic father and son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, yeah. That, we do, oh, in yeah. that we don't talk about
0: it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so, so a normal one for the seventies. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and and yeah, totally. I mean, nothing. You know, we we, uh, I, I I again before I disliked the Guardian so much, I did a, an article for them whereby I. They they had a um, I don't think they would run it anymore, but it was it was a thing where you could take uh, your father or mother to something you enjoy, and they would take you to something they enjoy, and 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 thus a slightly amusing, interesting insight into family is born. And I took my dad to a Motorhead concert. Right. Um. Uh. It was about ten years ago, probably, and and he took me round a um, William Morris you know, the, 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 um, uh, the, the what is he? He's a, well, he's an artist, but he does wallpaper. Design. He's a wallpaper. It's not William Morris wallpaper design and, and stuff, but he's a, you know, an artist, um, and textiles, that kind of thing. And, and where the house where he was born, I think, is now a museum dedicated to his work. Anyway, he took me there. And I took him to a Motorhead concert and the, you know, and wrote a funny thing about it and, and that's fine. Um, but we spent an afternoon together on both occasions and it occurred to both of us that we would never really spent any time alone together like that yeah. for years because, yeah. well, I, I, you know, my parents live miles away from where I live, so I don't see them as often as that anyway. Uh, but, but we thought, well, no, we've not really done that. So, you know, we sort of sat and had an awkward couple of pints of beer. But after that, you know, it, it was fine. Yeah. But it's, I'm of that generation, as you might be, is that when, when you phone home and your dad answers the phone, you sort of, you know, oh, how's it going? Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, doing that. Yeah, yeah, which lasts for about 30 seconds. Then he goes, Do you want your mum. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah, that's exactly how, how things go down. It's the Pod 20, the only countdown that matters. And at number four, the Joe Rogan Experience, his latest guest is David Blaine. At three, David Tennant does a podcast with, and this week David Tennant does his podcast with, the political activist, author and entrepreneur, Stacey Adams. Just before we get into the top two, Gemma Moore, one of the stars of the lockdown movie Host, what are you looking forward to?
1: Getting back on a film set.
0: Right. So, you just I, like the vibe on the set? That's your, your natural yeah, habitat? I
1: love, I love stepping into um, anything that, like art directors or, you know, just stepping onto set and into that world. Because I think, I mean, Lord of the Rings was the film that m- made me love films and those magical worlds. And I remember with Doom and, and, and previous films and Wonder Woman, the, that magical moment where you're like, everyone's around you and you're stood on set and you can chat to people and people are excited too and there's this buzz going on and you're about to and then the director walks on set I'm really looking forward to doing that again and being able to hug people when I can hug my mum and dad I miss my mum just treats her window like a shop window now I'll go over and she'll be like do you want this cake or do you want some bananas (laughs) she like produces and I'll be like mum actually I really need some of this and she'll be like and then go to the back of the house and come back and be like, "Here you go." And then I can see my mum. My mum's like this really sweet. Like uh, my friend's got a toddler, and apparently, um, they've told him that they can't. She they can't hug him.
0: And the ah, toddler, because Why? Because
1: grandparents can't hug because you know. Yeah, really y- I think now it's fine, but during lockdown, my friend was saying it was really funny because the toddler would be like pretend that they were going to get a toy and then run and leg it and just grab one of the grandparents' legs. And my mum has that tendency. I can see her being like, mm, like wanting to hug. So now that's why I've been like, mum, you have to stay in the house behind the window. And then she'll shut the window and I'll go up to the window and collect my stuff. But I've only done that twice because my dad's high risk. So I have so I can't wait until I can just hug my mum and dad. I think that's something I'm really looking forward to doing. That and being on a film set with a load of creative, creative heads.
0: Well, it's let's hope you don't have to wait too long to enjoy those things.
1: And I hope to hear you on an audiobook sometime. I'm a big fan of the audiobooks.
0: Are you? I've just done, a, I've just done one that's just gone for sale this week. It's, a, it's called Spitfire Final Flight. It's a nice story. Make a great movie too. It's about, I didn't, it, it, the guy that wrote it, I'll tell you what it's about. It's about, yeah. they find these, they, they find that there's rumour that there are these pristine, brand new Spitfires were buried in the Burmese jungle in the nineteen forties and they're apparently still there so this American millionaire says he wants one but he needs an expert spitfire expert you know so they go and break this old guy who's 99 years old they break him out of a an old folks home where he's living a miserable life but he's an ex-spitfire pilot and raf test pilot and they break him out to be their like technical advisor but he's got alzheimer's and it comes and goes and it's like and they they go to burma to nick this spitfire it's a great story it's called spitfire final flight so yeah that's a
1: really good story that's it's almost like um like a, uh, what's the, 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 it's kind of like, I imagine it, Cornetto trilogy, that kind of.
0: Vibe. Yeah. <laughs>
1: mixed, yeah. Also mixed with um, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Like said, I can imagine that, the meld of those two things.
0: Yeah. And there's a real generational thing there too, you know, because he's an older guy and he's got this very young carer and she realizes what a life he had before he was in this miserable old folks' home where they you know took down to you and whatever and now he gets to be a go and be a hero again you know and it's so it's really cool and he has to don't want to give too much away but he yeah, has to land a spitfire on a ship that isn't an aircraft carrier they just put plyboard on a freighter and he's got to land it on i mean it's great it's great
1: wow Well, the guy that has alzheimer's has to land it
0: yeah <gasps> yeah yeah, it wasn't planned that way, but that original drug-running South American pilot gets arrested, and now they need a pilot, and he's all they got. You know, it's so good. Oh, that's so good. I'm gonna,
1: I'm gonna give that read. I'll give that to my dad as well. Cause Spitfire
0: Final Flight, it's called. Yeah. Spitfire,
1: Final yeah, okay.
0: the, the audio books on Audible, and the, it's based on an actual book, which is somewhere, which a big read too.
1: amazing
0: it was really good fun to narrate and I'm sure you'll enjoy it that's Gemma Moore who'll be back next week to talk about growing up on a farm and getting into acting it's the pod 20 and we're into the top two number two Spencer and Vogue Spencer Matthews and Vogue Williams let you into their lives and bring you what they're thinking doing and disagreeing on which brings us to number one For the second week at the top of the chart, the good, the bad, and the rugby. James Haskell, Mike Tindall, and Alex Payne in a show with great guests, Insight, Laughter, and Tears. That's it for episode 17 of the Pod 20. I'm Graham Mack, and thanks to this week's guest podcasters, Gemma Moore, John Holmes, Ken Levine, and Sam Walker. If you'd like to watch extended Zoom chats with all of my guests, check them out on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Next week's special guest is BJ Shea, the host of the BJ Shea Morning Experience on 99.9 FM KISW in Seattle, Washington, and the host of BJ Shea's Geek Nation. BJ, I know you love Doctor Who
4: gosh, yes,
0: yeah. How's she doing? How's the new Doctor doing? I've got to admit, I haven't seen any of the new ones since Jodie's taken over. And I didn't see that many before, to be fair, but I haven't seen any of the ones she's done.
4: Yeah, Jodie's, well, first of all, Jodie's a terrific actor. Uh, As soon as I heard she was getting the role, because of what she's done before, I thought, okay. Uh, You know, my concern was, and, and only because of the fact, when people pay too much fan service, I thought are they going to change the character? Because the Doctor is not very likable. He's Mm -hmm. also not exactly empathetic. He's always stumbled around humans, and that's been the the charm of the Doctor, is that he stumbles around humans and doesn't quite get it right, even though he comes from a superior race with great technology, the ability to travel through time and space. But really, the empathy and even understanding how to be with people has never been the Doctor's strong suit. And he's always come off like an idiot sometimes and has to, has, usually gets chastised by the, the human companions. So I thought, oh, is that going to be something that people are going to tolerate from, a, from a, a being done to a female actor? I thought, I, you know, I wasn't sure how this was going to be. Were they going to try to make this be like a super doctor because, well, we don't want this woman to be treated badly? because that would be what the fans might say. And I'm like, I just want the doctor to be the doctor. And my gosh, Jodi's knocked it out of the park. She is my favorite doctor. She is really? as awkward. Wow. She's terrifically who. And I mean, look, you know, Graham, there's no, there's, uh, I will say this, the, the, it's no uh, secret. The ratings I know have not been great in England. And I'm, I don't know if they've been great here compared to previous iterations of Doctor Who. And it saddens me because I see the complaints online. And honestly, Graham, I don't know anything else, but because of the fact that deep down, the real reason is because she's a woman. And they, and they think, oh my gosh, you should never have cast a woman in this role. You think that's what it, it is? I do, because everything else they say makes no sense. She is a brilliant actress. And, and, and anybody would tell you that long before she got this role. So it's not because Jody can't act. The writing and the and the cast around her they and you would know better than me I mean because i don 't know much of their work except what i 've read that they 're just terrifically heralded as great actors, the people along with her so the writing is good. I mean, I go back and watch all the other episodes, and you know, we, you and I, were maybe remember the the seventies ones. Where <laughs> my God, I mean, the wobbly you know. scenery, yeah. Oh, and also the fact we have to kill twenty minutes, so Sarah Jane is going to trip and fall again, and for ten <laughs> minutes we'll drag her through the jungle because we have to fill twenty minutes. Uh, so you can't say the writing is worse because it's not. Um, and Chris Chibnall's not. It's, I mean, he's a very good showrunner, you know. And so, I don't know what else to call it except it's a bunch of older, white cisgendered men that just don't want to get over the fact that they've taken the character who used to reflect them. Oh, that's me. I can point to me. There's a white guy being the hero. And now here is a woman who's the hero who doesn't look like them. And now they know what it feels like to have to watch a show where that's not them on the screen and they don't like it. And they don't know they don't like it. And so I think it's subconscious that they find anything to nitpick. But I think it's because... That's a woman up there playing the role that you're used to being a man. That's wow. the only thing. I can think of because the show, I think, is terrific. I've loved it. I, I don't know what they're complaining about. I, and I think this season was better than last season. And, I, and, and I'm not kidding. She's my favorite doctor, and I, I love Tennant, and I love Matt Smith, and I love Tom Baker. i I'm really, I, I loved a lot of the doctors. So it's not as if, you know, this is a bandwagon thing. She's that good. I really mm-hmm. look at her and I go. And I just go, Oh my gosh, Jody, you are nailing this. It's, it, and, <laughs> and, and, and so I'm, I, I hope she feels that love. I hope that enough people let her know that because, uh, and it's just, and also as a performer, she's terrific anyway. I mean, I, I, mean, I just, I look at her and I go, if I could be a quarter of good, as good at her at my job as she is at her job, I might be somebody. That's how good, that's how good Jody is in the role. And, um, my gosh i can't remember the gentleman's name was playing the master uh sasha oh my i'm horrible um he's a terrific master i mean they've done a great job they really have i um so yes i love it a lot
0: Well, if you say it's good, I know it's good, BJ. BJ Shea, my special guest next week on the Pod 20 and what will happen on the podcast chart next week. Will the good, the bad and the rugby be at number one for a third week? Will David Tennant make a push for the summit? Will your favourite podcast be number one? Find out with me, Graham Mack, and influence the chart by making a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk.